As we get into our message tonight, we're going to be speaking on the topic of the Lord God omnipotent, the omnipotence of God. On Sunday evenings here at this church, we're doing a series where each of the different pastors are taking different lessons, and we're going through systematic theology. Boy, that can sound pretty dry and pretty boring, but what we believe about God and his word absolutely impacts how we live our lives. And so often we face a sense of our powerlessness, whether it be over international affairs that are completely chaotic or the chaos in the culture around us. It can be our marriage that's strained to the breaking point or has broken. It can be being enslaved to an addiction. It can be a wayward child that we just cannot reach, no matter how hard we try, and we find ourselves feeling powerless. And the news will bombard us with stories of abuses and catastrophes, and we can feel powerless. We need this truth to be much more than theological discourse but to be something that we hold dearly to our heart. And so we put up a video clip of the most powerful type of weapon man has come up with. And Bill Nye, the science guy, wanted to be here tonight. But I told him we have someone much better than that. Our own science teacher, Dr. Raymond Rutherford. So I've prepared a few questions for him, and he's going to come up. and answer them much better than I can. There you go. And so I want to thank you, uh, Brother Ray, for the great work you do with the students here. Anytime you go into Raymond Rutherford science class, you're going to see notes all over the boards. You're going to see things up in displays and the kids working in groups, and there's lots of science going on there. And I've had discussions with him and asked him questions, and he has taught me much already. So I have some questions here for you, uh, Brother Ray. First of all, can you explain to us what exactly is a supernova? Sure, it's a big boom. It's a star exploding. And so what happens with a star is you have two opposing forces happening at the same time. Its massive gravity is trying to pull it in, to squeeze it into a ball. And when you have a star like the sun, which has over 99% of the mass of our solar system within it, that's a lot of gravity pulling it. But as long as the core is hot, it has outward-directed pressure, and that keeps everything at bay. Well, after a while, the star runs out of power. The gravity pushes in, squeezes it tight, and imagine something the size and the mass of a million Earths and collapsing within 15 seconds, and it lets go an explosion with an unspeakable amount of energy. That, that's what happens with the supernova. And a supernova, is that a big, giant, giant star? Uh, there's many different stars. All stars to us are giant, but our, many stars are small, like our star is a yellow dwarf. Which isn't that big. I went off script, but the science teacher's right with me. Praise the Lord for that. So uh, back to our questions here. We just saw a video regarding the destructive power of atomic weapons. How does the power of an atom bomb 
compare to a supernova. It's like throwing a bunch of rocks at a tank. I mean, to put it simply, the first atomic bomb had 15 kilotons of TNT, and it did a lot of destruction. Well, a supernova, and Pastor Walker used septillion, I'll use octillion, today has a power of 10 octillion megatons of TNT, making it 67 followed by 28 zeros behind it, more powerful than the atomic bomb. Wow, indeed. And so when man rattles his saber with the greatest might of his strength possible, just remember how much greater our God is. Could we reasonably believe that the existence of the stars and the power that keeps it operating, that outward pressure of the heat and the inward pressure of the gravity and all those things, when looking at that, can we reasonably believe that that just happened, that that just occurred, that it's anything less than the work of an omnipotent creator? Yeah, it's truly unscientific to believe in evolution. I mean, it, can you imagine saying, I don't have a working 747, so I'm going down to the junkyard and throw a stick of dynamite in, and that 747 will be fully formed, functioning, ready to go. Well, we're not even talking about life. Life is delicate. It's very narrow ranges have to occur for life to exist. And, for example, uh, J. Warner Wallace, he was in the second God's Not Dead movie, he wrote a book called God's Crime Scene. And in the book, it talks about the ratio of electrons to protons. And if that's off just by a little bit, between 1 in 10 followed by 37 zeros, that's something tillion. That's a big tillion there. Uh, life would no longer exist. And to quantify that, think about a continent the size of North America filled from the ground to the moon with dimes. Now multiply that by a million of those land masses with dimes from the ground to the sky, and on one of those dimes, there's a red X. Just one. The same chances of somebody picking that out blindfold the first time is the same chances of that occurring. Wow. And another thing is the mass and density. If you know something about gravity... It's the gravity of our solar system that keeps us right in the exact place where we need to be. Well, if that was off by 1 in 10 followed by 59 zeros, we would cease to exist. Uh, Dave, try this for a uh, shooting event. Put it one-inch target at the far end of the universe. Try and, uh, try and hit that your first shot. That's the same odds as life occurring within those very narrow ranges. Do you have any other conclusions or any other evidence you'd want to share with us? Our God's big. <laughs> Amen. He is awesome. He's bigger than my problems. He's bigger than anything we can throw at him. Amen. And, and I have to admit, I think to be an evolutionist, looking at these odds, you have to have more faith than Adam could ever, I'm sorry, Abraham could ever muster. I don't have the faith of an evolutionist to believe in these ridiculous odds happened by an explosion of... We don't know what, caused by we don't know what. You know, when we, when we believe in evolution, we're robbing God of who he is, our almighty creator, and the glory he deserves. Amen. How about a big hand for our science teacher? Praise the Lord. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate your...
expertise. And now with that perspective, let's talk about the omnipotence of God. Had we entered that by watching those old clips of an atomic bomb and thinking about the current political circumstances, etc., we might not properly be prepared. Now we are. And so as we go into this, we're going through systematic theology. Systematic theology is a highly organized, detailed, methodical, topical study of the Bible. It takes any given topic. There are many branches of it. Uh, When we talk about systematic theology, the word theology there is all-encompassing, all learning about everything about God and about God's Word. Theology also has a specific meaning in and of itself, the study of God, of his nature and of his character. So it carries two meanings. But when you're looking at systematic theology, it may be bibliology, the study of God's word. It may be Christology, the study of Christ. Soteriology, the study uh, of the doctrine of salvation. Ecclesiology, study of the church, etc., etc. And you break it down into parts. Now our Bible is not written that way. God's doctrines, God's teachings to us are always given to us in the normal course of people's lives, in the things that he's done as he tells his story. So when you're doing systematic theology, you're going through the Bible and saying, I'm going to go all the way from Genesis to Revelation and find out everything it says about this subtopic of theology. And so now we're not just talking theology in the broad sense, now we're narrowing it down tonight to speak about theology, the study of God. And we're going to narrow it down further and say we're talking about one piece of that. We're going to talk about the attributes of God. And then we're going to narrow it down further and say we're going to just consider one of those attributes. But let's talk about those things just very quickly. When we talk about the attributes of God... What is the nature and the character of our God? There are what are called incommunicable attributes, and those are the ones that God does not share with man. There are certain things God has that no man has nor could have. God is omnipotent. Man may have little tiny pieces of power. But there is no omnipotent man, there is no omnipotent angel, there is no omnipotent created being. God alone is omnipotent. God is omniscient. He knows all. He knows everything. There's no math problem too hard for him. There's no number unfathomable to us, a septillion or an octillion and a bump and a a 67 to the power of 10 to the power of whatever. I mean, those things are unfathomable to us, not to God. He's omniscient. Praise God. We can know things. We can gain knowledge, but none of us can have that. And then God has what... uh, are called his communicable, his shareable attributes. They generally have to do with his character. Be ye holy, for I am holy. God is love. We are to love one another. We can, even in this life, reach to God's level of agape love. Can we do it all the time? Certainly not. Can we, in a fallen condition, in a sinful world? Certainly not. But those are attributes he would share. Mercy, love, 
justice, some of those other things. But we're looking at the incommunicable. Sometimes they're called God's moral attributes that are shareable and his natural attributes, those that pertain to his nature alone. We're going to look at just one, his omnipotence. And this is not disconnected from life. If we disconnect it, we rob ourselves of the life God would have us experience as his children. And so that's where we're looking tonight. So first we will start with the definition of God's omnipotence. I found a great one in a book, so I just put it right up there on the screen for us tonight. And consider with me for a couple moments, we're going to talk about the definition of God's omnipotence, then we'll see how he displays that omnipotence. And then finally, I will encourage you to be fully devoted, fully embracing of this attribute of God's character, that you would hold a big, giant, all-powerful God in your mind and in your heart. In fact, this dovetails perfectly those of you who are here for the morning message with the morning message. I would say by the end of this discussion of this attribute of God in our systematic theology, talking about his attributes, that every one of us can leave here as big godders, to use the language that was introduced in this morning's sermon, instead of little godders carrying a little God in your mind. The definition taken from this book called uh, What We Believe, or Do You Believe, simply says God is omnipotent, almighty in power. Some of you like those little blanks on your paper. Well, they're right up there. You can just fill them in. Almighty in power. Over and over and over again, our God is presented as God almighty He can do without effort. Oh, I would say underline that once, twice, three times, and then highlight it, and then circle it, and then put stars around it and arrows. He can do without effort. If you see man in his greatest feat of strength, the man who broke a record and lifted weights, and he trained, and he worked at it, and he prepared, and you wondered if he would be able to lift it, or if his knees would buckle under it, and he got it, and he has it up, And he holds it for long enough and then boom, drops it. Because the light went off that said he broke the record. He had to work. They took effort. God's omnipotence is not like that. God didn't have to train or work. When he spoke worlds into existence, there was no effort. Because he is omnipotent. That's the God. So when we feel when we're attacked with a sense of fear, of feeling that we're in great peril, that we're threatened, that we're powerless. I don't care if it's a global pandemic or it's your personal diagnosis that is grim or a broken relationship or whatever it is, hold tight. Let your theology, what you believe, determine your outlook your attitude, your actions here. He can do without effort whatever he wills at any time and in any place he chooses to exercise his power. This, Tripp says, is the highest possible definition of power. I don't know anybody apart from God who comes close 
to that. There is nothing in heaven and earth that is comparable in power to God. This means God is utterly and completely unique in power. I just reversed those sentences. God has no limits. There is nothing that can inhibit or stop God's exercise of his power. Will the whole world come together in one great army and surround little Israel someday? The scriptures certainly describe that, don't they? Will God prevail? See, when we have a a true, deep, embraced understanding of the omnipotence of God, it's not just a definition that you memorize to pass the quiz or the test, but it's an understanding of the nature of God and God alone. And if we're in relationship with him through salvation because we've put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that power is available to us. And there's nothing in this life that could come against us that would have to cause us to fear. So indeed, Paul can say to Timothy, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. How many times do we react in fear simply because we forget how big our God is? Do we need the children to come up and sing for us? My God is so big to just remind us who he is. All throughout the scriptures, Genesis 17, 1, I am the almighty God, said God to a 99-year-old Abraham. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He said after Sarah laughed at the thought that She can never bear children at that age. The promise of the son that would come from them through whom the earth would be blessed. (laughs) Are you crazy? Amen. He's not crazy. He's omnipotent. And so whatever we may face, he is one. Mary was so willing, but she said, how can this be? seeing that I know not man. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And I have more verses on the list up there, and I could read through them and read through them, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Our God is presented to us. The attribute of his omnipotence is shouted throughout the Scriptures. May it be shouted in your heart, in the chambers of your heart, and in your mind with whatever thing you face, whatever threatens you, whatever causes you anxiety, whatever worries you. May the omnipotence of God and your belief in it swell up in you. See, theology is not mere abstractions. Theology is what we believe, and it impacts how we will live. Now let's look at the displays of God's omnipotence as we move on. Again, all throughout the scriptures, there are a million places we could point, but the verses we chose for tonight were Genesis 1-1, and then we jumped some verses to verses 14 to 16. We jumped quickly to the fourth day of creation so we could look at some things. Two ways that God's omnipotence is clearly seen in the scriptures is his power to create, and his power to resurrect. 
the power of creation and the power of resurrection. And when we recognize his omnipotence, even if he's being nailed to a cross, we won't be by the fire warming our hand and afraid. We won't say in one moment, I'm ready to go to, I will die for you. And in the next moment, a little maiden scares us because she's causing the others to recognize that he's associated with the one on the cross. When we know his resurrection power, when we know his power of creation, when we know his omnipotence, we can rise up and face anything. What is it that you're facing right now that you need, desperately need, a sense of God's omnipotence? In Genesis 1.1, we see a power of creation that no one, none could ever match. In the beginning, God created time. We try to manage time. We try to live within time. We try to find time for this and make time for that. But God created it. Another of his attributes is his eternity. He created this thing called time. And yet, he's before it, and he's after it, he's above it, he's below it, he's all around it. And so theologians go crazy with this stuff. Is it predetermined, or is it free will? Is it this, or is it that? How can he have foreknowledge in this? Is it... They go crazy in debates where the truth is, how can we wrap our heads around it? God is on that side of time, when there's time no more. And in eternity past, he was on that side of time. He created time. No man could create that. In the beginning, God created the heavens. We spoke about the immensity of the size of the universe. We didn't talk about how many million, 200 million, I think, galaxies they believe must exist. I read so many of those big numbers, I could be off on that. And I won't put Bill Nye, the science guy, on the spot with asking him to look those things up. But think about that. God created that without effort. And it's just stated. Our Bible starts, it begins with a simple statement, no argument, no debate. No, let's get these scientists on this side who have dated this rock to be X million years old. There's no, it's just in the beginning. God created the heavens, all the space around us, and the earth. Time, space, and matter. All the stuff of this world and the universe is around it. And God created them. Man cannot. No man can create time. Oh, we fantasize about it, a time machine to go back or to go forward. What was the one with the guy, the crazy scientist and... Back to the future, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, however many of them they did. Man could fantasize about it. I wish we could bend time and go through time and get faster than the speed of light so that time will slow down and Superman could fly around the earth so many times that he sets time backwards. And we try to imagine if we could have power like that, but we don't. Only God is omnipotent over time. Man cannot create space. Now, we try to make space in our house, but all we're doing is moving stuff around. 
And man cannot create matter. He can only manipulate it. He could only change it. He could only work it. You don't have to go past Genesis 1-1 to say, my God is omnipotent. Amen? Next time you're facing something, or maybe you are right now, and you say, I need to go search the Scriptures and just get a hold of this truth. It's real easy. It's page one. It's verse one. Just read that and be reminded, wow, my God created it all. That is creative power. And then in verse 16, one of the Greatest understatements in all of Scripture. Certain people like understatement. Luke, in his gospel, liked to state things. And even in the book of Acts, he liked understatement. He uses it very effectively. Excuse me. You know the most awesome understatement in all of the Scriptures? 1 Corinthians 14, I forget the verse. 27 or 47 or something like that says that if someone speaks in a foreign tongue there has to be a certain number of them and there has to be an interpreter and so I no longer want to violate that we heard it in Simon language great job Aldrich he learned that Woohoo! and he made the stars also in your pew bible there it's simply hyphen and the stars It's great. At the end of verse 16, when it talks about on the fourth day of creation and God made the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Yeah, he made them too. If you were here this morning, you heard about it. There's some 9,096 or something like that stars that the naked eye can see on a really, really clear night. But that doesn't get anywhere near the number of stars that there are. I've read different numbers. I heard some septillion, a billion, zillion. I heard someone else say 200 million trillion and these different numbers. Scientists don't know, and it's always changing. And he made the stars also. But I don't need God. These people trying to ram down this salvation thing, or ram it down my throat, telling me that I have to turn from my sin and put my faith in God. I don't need him. Put it in perspective and say, Sharon, play it again. Oh, I need you, Lord. I can figure my way through this with the psychology and the help of friends. I can overcome this. I can be broken free of these chains. Sing it again, Sydney. Break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. Because my God is omnipotent. But if I walk around without that theological truth in my heart and in my mind in a moment-by-moment way. It's just a truth on a shelf. It's a book in my collection. It's a seminary course. It's something for one of the poets, I think it's Coleridge, calls it abstruser musings. But boy, you embrace that. And that's where we're going that you're fully devoted to that. Who wants to tell me I can take two or three minutes if anybody could say sometimes in the Scriptures where God shows His omnipotence? Anyone think of one off the top of your head? 
So when I see one, Mike Lestina, the sun stood still. Isn't that great? He said, Joshua, I'm going to give you a tiny piece of it. You tell the sun to stand still over Gibeon and the moon to stand still over Agilon. I'll give you power to stop time. God shared a tiniest, the, the most minuscule spark of his omnipotence. Go ahead, Hannah. Amen. And that was the time when those waters were majorly going, and he parted the sea, and they walked across on what kind of land? Dry land. Amen. When he did it, and when he chose to close it, he closed it. Those are great. Any others? I guess we don't need microphones. We've got people real loud. Yes, ma'am, in the back, and then I'll come to you. Amen. So he, he can create light. He doesn't need the stars and the sun. Amen. That's a good thought. We'll be in heaven. We won't need stars and a sun. He's the light. Yes, sir. Raising of Jesus. Raising of Jesus. Amen. His resurrection power on full display. And he allowed a few miracles and a few times where someone could be raised from the dead. But God raised Christ from the dead. Jesus called Lazarus on the fourth day, after the third day, after which it would be unheard of for someone to come back from the dead. All these great displays all through the scriptures. God is so loving and so merciful when the Israelites in uh, Exodus 9, uh, what is it, 6, chapter 6, I think, they were afraid. God told Moses he was going to answer their prayer, but they didn't even have the faith in his omnipotence to believe it, and they were afraid, and they rejected him. And God just said, go into Moses and tell him, I said, let my people go. And God displayed his omnipotence over every one of their gods. He attacked every god through one plague after another after another. Read your scriptures always with this thought in mind. My God is omnipotent. Is anything too hard for God? For nothing shall be impossible with him. And there's nothing you and I will face that will undo us. It's human to have fearful reactions in certain situations. But they don't have to overtake us. We could quickly lean on the everlasting arms Man of God, Elisha, the Syrians are much greater in number. O Lord, open his eyes that he may see in God's omnipotence with those chariots of fire and those warriors were all around. That unseen world of God's omnipotence We'll end with this thought, the necessary devotion to God's omnipotence. We understand the definition. We would agree readily. It's all over on display. But why do I need to be so devoted to that truth? I have this statement here, and I put on the paper whether you think it's true or false, and maybe explain your answer. That's not meant for me to collect, of course. That's meant to prompt thinking. If you are not fully convinced of God's omnipotence, 
and I would add in parentheses, in a moment-by-moment way. If you are not fully convinced of God's omnipotence, you will not be fully committed to Him. Our theme for the year, total life commitment. Total commitment. You see, you really cannot reach total commitment to a God that you don't see as all-powerful. Because something will come and threaten you to the degree that you won't believe in a God who can handle it. And you won't be committed to Him any longer. Things will come along that will rob you of the great opportunity to be totally committed to an omnipotent God who gave His Son, who said, though I'm omnipotent, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will lay down my omnipotence and die on the cross. I will not call those legions of angels. I will lay that aside and give it all up and become totally weak. Think about that moment in the history of time when God the Father, as if he could no longer look and turned his back, but held his son on that cross. And the son cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that fellowship was broken. When the omnipotent God had God the Son give up all of that omnipotence and lay down his life. Truly, if you're going to be theological about it, he didn't. Because no man took his life, he gave it for us. And so that's a poetic way as I describe it tonight. The power of God in creation and the power of God in resurrection. I say it again, theology is not a meaningless abstraction. What you believe And what you fail to believe will determine how you act, how you live. If we fail to hold tight to this great truth and keep it before us in moment by moment, I thought of five different things that we could easily fall into, that we often do fall into. And so let's think about those fearlessness. Excuse me. Fearfulness is what we'll fall into, where God would have us to be fearless in the face of those things. If I don't believe my God is omnipotent, not just intellectually, but if that belief isn't the filter through which I see every single situation, I'm going to cave into fear. Do you deal with anxiety? Do you fret? Do you worry? Would a fearfulness be something you struggle with? Oh, be fully devoted to the great truth tonight that your God is omnipotent. I'm afraid my marriage is falling apart. God is omnipotent. In fact, you can't even look at any of the other attributes of God apart from his omnipotence. How could I say my God is sovereign if he's not omnipotent? One sovereign nation is warring against another sovereign nation. We say this country is sovereign and that country is sovereign. But man's idea of sovereignty is nothing like God's. 
God is sovereign to rule and reign as he chooses <coughs> over all. You can be kept in bondage like the Israelites in Egypt. You will be caused to avoid dealing with anything that's beyond your own ability because of fear. Foolishness, I have to go quickly through this so that we can end our service. <coughs> Foolishness, if I don't have a proper understanding of the omnipotence of God, I will descend into absolute foolishness. I think the greatest foolishness there is, is for man to overestimate himself and to underestimate God. I don't know if there's a greater type of foolishness there is. You don't underestimate a God whom you know to be the Lord God omnipotent. But you fall into utter foolishness when you think, I've got this, I can handle this, I can, I'm self-sufficient, I'm able. And people who walk around in that foolishness get hit in life with something that's so hard, a thorn in the flesh that threatens to tear them apart. And they're so foolish because our God has sufficient grace for every one of those situations that threaten to tear us apart. We can descend into powerlessness. Park there for a minute, please. Ask yourself, where do I feel most powerless right now? Parent, do you have a child who's far away from the Lord? And you so desperately want them to come back, but you're powerless? God isn't. Amen. Do you have a diagnosis, an illness, a financial condition, a what, a what, a what, a what? Add to the list. What is the thing that is causing you to feel powerless? And then bring that to the throne of God and realize, I can't change that. But if God so chooses, he can without effort. The God who created time, space, matter, who created all the stars, and we, heard, we were reminded this morning of the psalmist saying he counts all the stars and he knows them by name. There's nothing so hard in this world that God's omnipotence isn't the answer to it. Prayerlessness. You say, I pray, I pray. Lots of us pray in their weak, anemic, perfunctory prayers. It's kind of like prayerlessness, and probably some of us hardly pray. But I'm moved to prayer when I realize the one to whom I'm praying. That I may not have this, but he does. You can descend into hopelessness. It's just absolutely hopeless. I'm so weak. There's no solution. There's no way out of this. The promise can never be fulfilled. I'm too old to bear a child. Is there anything too hard for God? I want to finish with this illustration and we're done. 
I imagine that almost nobody in here knows the name Charles Jennings. If you all know who that is, please don't make me feel dumb like I was the only one who didn't know until I started looking at this. Maybe, probably, Miss Beebe knows. In 1741, he labored for months on a libretto. That's the written manuscript for an opera or an oratorio. He labored for months and months. When it was done and he brought it to the royal court, a musicologist of his age said it was nothing less than genius. For he decided he would take only scriptures and weave them together, starting back with Isaiah and going 60% of it is Old Testament, but it was all about the life of Christ. And he would go on and he had this libretto that was truly amazing. It was so creative. And yet he created from what was already there from God, because we can't create the way God does. He brought it to the royal court to give to a musician to turn that work into an oratorio, which is kind of like an opera. Fewer costumes, less of the drama, and definitely has a religious theme. 24 days later, the composer came back to him with a piece, an astounding piece, with 250,000 notes that would go for, for about two hours, 47 minutes. He composed this work. Charles Jennings was... He was insulted. He had poured himself into an incredibly intensely creative work to glorify God using only the scriptures so adroitly woven together. And the musician comes back in 24 days with the music written. He was offended. The truth is the composer outmatched his, the creative, creativity of the composer of the manuscript. He composed a piece of music that is probably one of the most played pieces, certainly of the Baroque period, all throughout time. Most of you have heard some of it, if not all of it, in numerous occasions. It's said that when it gets to the second act, the second part of it, in the seventh scene, that everyone rises because of the majesty of that music. It starts in what's called homophony. I don't know if that's how you say it. Homophonic, almost like unison. Even though there are parts, it's like in lockstep. Boom, 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 boom. And then as it goes on, we're going to listen to a minute, 17 seconds, and then pray and dismiss in just a second. But as the music piece goes on and it builds up in that lockstep, all of a sudden it explodes with power and all the parts diverge. We're only going to hear a little part of it. And you know what is sung over and over? The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. I would love if any time you heard that musical piece from this time forward if it would remind you not of the creativity of that composer, but of the creator God who is omnipotent. Because truly, George Frederick Handel worked with what was already created. He worked with parchments and quill and ink and notes and rules and, and sound. 
But in that piece of music, it's not the most impressive piece of music in the whole oratorio. Probably every valley shall be exalted is because of what he does musically there. But it's the one most people remember. The legend is when it came to that part, the king stood. But that legend started a long time afterwards. But to this day, when it's played in concert halls, it's known when you get to that part, everyone stands. And then they're seated afterwards. Would you stand with me? And then we'll pray and be dismissed. Father, we thank you that you are the omnipotent God. We thank, thank you that that very power works even in us, not just for us, but in us. And as we dismiss from this place tonight, may we go forth with hallelujahs and amens sung with full vigor in our hearts for. You are our God, Lord God omnipotent. Reign in our lives, reign in our hearts, and meet us in our every weakness. For truly, when we are weak, then are we strong. May we be dismissed with your blessing. I pray in the name of your Son, our dear Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless.